one of the toughest spot to take is being the last person between you and dinner. <laughs> anyway, I'll make it interesting. And uh, what I am going to share is based on a learning that I have taken from my Guruji, revered Patsadhyay Rajagopalachari. He made a very beautiful definition long ago, and he beautifully differentiated, saying, literacy is to give knowledge. Education is what gives you character. Coming from a background where I am not a direct literacy dispenser, but I am an educationist because I have been dealing with students as part of my business life, maybe coached, trained, consulted, more than a million students and uh, corporate executives. I do understand what education is about. Twenty years ago, a research was started in Harvard and the entire research was based on one single aspect. What is it that really differentiates a normal human being and extremely powerful people who have left a huge impact on the society? The kind of Buddhas, Christ, Vivekananda, or if you take the scientific community of Einstein, Newton, or Edison. This research went on for almost uh, 20 years, spanning almost <clears throat> several generations of uh, so-called leaders and people. And they kept analyzing. After lots of analysis, finally the whole thing boiled down to just two points. The summary of the research, though the research is a very extensive one that you can even find on the net, they just came down to two single points. What is exactly the difference between these people and why the so-called hardware, which is the same when we are all born in this earth. None of us are given a, a sort of a deficient hardware. All of us have the same. But the software seems to be different. For them, the software seems to be an advanced version. Their iPhone 10 runs with an iPhone 10 software, whereas our iPhone 10 maybe runs with a 1X or 2X OS. So they found out that the only two aspects, they first defined the problem in step one, and in that they mentioned very clearly the difference between the so-called evolved people and the so-called normal human beings that we are, is that their consciousness kept expanding. They just said their consciousness kept expanding. And the answer to the first problem statement that they made was given in the second answer that they gave, which actually is the answer. Such a simple answer, I don't know why they took 20 years to arrive at, but they did arrive. They said, the expansion of consciousness happened to these people because of one single aspect of their life. They kept asking questions. If you look back at what literacy does to our students, right from a childhood, the moment you ask a question to your mother or father, and in all probabilities they may not be knowing the answer, the first response that you get is, shut up, don't ask questions, do as they say. But unfortunately, you know, that curiosity which uh, is what kindles the spirit within which leads to education instead of literacy is killed at a very young age. And the question that Edison asked or Newton asked is what led to the discovery. When an apple fell on his head, Newton did not 
go and ask his father why the apple fell. He asked himself and then he went and found the answer. The same was true for Edison. He went on to have more than 1,000 patents. And sitting in a clerical office, in a patent office, being a clerk, Einstein wrote the theory of relativity. During his lifetime, maybe hardly five people understood it. And that's what made what Swami Vivekananda was to find himself or Ramana Maharishi, that one single question, who am I, kept on expanding their consciousness. And this is a spirit that has been killed in our education system. Predominantly, like right from morning till now, many people have spoken and each one have been saying that we are used to giving lectures. Normally, we do not allow students to ask questions because we are not comfortable with those questions. And these are the questions we have been asking for several years now on this front. The summation that you're going to see today is, to a great extent, the work that uh, our Heartfulness team has done over a period of years, several years. And I am personally associated on several social friends where we also research on the background of economies and uh, students and so many other factors. We came out with several answers and right up to lunch, some of the speakers, they are given a lot of insights that has been summed up also. What you have done is we have grouped them into about uh, six sections for the sake of easy clarity. There are various inputs that have come from various uh, sections of the society, bureaucrats we have met, government departments we have uh, interfaced with, people who build up curriculum, ministers, industrialists, several people, a cross-section we have met over a period of time. And uh, the entire recommendation that you're going to see today, which will also be submitted as a vision document as part of this uh, conclave to the government and several other educational stakeholders, is spread on these six headings. The first is on what is there for the teachers that we recommend out of this conclave. What is there for students? What is there for the educational institutions? What is there for the parents and society as a whole? What is there for the government to do, which is going to be one of the biggest section, because finally the making and dispensing of the policy is in their hands. And of course, the last mile connectivity, once the student is out of the college, how do they bridge the gap between the institution and the industry? These are the six segments that we have uh, taken up. We start with first teachers, because they are uh, always in the firing line. I review them a lot. Whatever I am here is today because of the literacy and the education I've gathered over a period of years under several teachers and uh, my spiritual gurus. If you look at the three recommendations we have for teachers, equip the teachers with modern day teaching skills. If you really look at uh, the morning speech that Mr. Gupal Rede gave, it was all about Khan Academy and how they have revolutionized the learning through the technology skills that they have been able to dispense with, which was a big differentiator. If you move into many of your classrooms uh, beyond the, uh, the urban landscape, you'll find that they hardly even have a classroom worth talking about. They don't have access to technology. Even uh, 2G today is still a big deal in those places and access to YouTube video is still reserved for uh, people who are in the urban class. Find ways in which the teachers can be enabled with modern day teaching skills, including technology skills for being on par with international standards of teaching. 
I have studied a lot about the education system that prevails in, say, Finland or Singapore. You find that there are streets ahead. When I compared one, somebody made a very rustic remark, which hurt me, but still, which is a fact. He said, many of your education system is at least 30 to 40 years behind us. And uh, to a great extent, that depends on the government uh, thinking, which we need to look at. Of course, we'll come to that point later. But this is an input that we have for the teachers. When we have the teachers facing the classroom, Sumiti ma'am, who I've been following on YouTube and several of her talks I've seen, teachers feel highly stressed because they are not able to face the students. It's not only the students who have problems, even teachers have problems in their life. How do they handle the social and emotional skills? We used to run programs along with UNDP across India. And one of the most sought after program was faculty development programs. And in faculty development programs, we used to have people both from the teaching and from the non-teaching core. And invariably, people with 20, 25, 30 years experience used to sit across in those sessions. And the common reference that used to come is, after my college is the first time I'm sitting in a classroom. Which means normally, maybe Mr. Shokumar might have a different view because he, maybe you handle students, but many times, teachers almost go into a bracket of being non-teachable. This is a big challenge that we need to overcome. And they need to agree that uh, the socio-emotional skills that are needed for them to handle themselves and handle the students is something that they need to be continuously equipped. And of course, we are doing quite a lot of work in that segment, uh, Heartfulness Education Trust as well as Heartfulness Institute. We are doing quite a lot of work in offering this almost on a cost-neutral basis across the spectrum of the educational institutions across India and even in the globe. Mainly, harnessing the hidden uh, challenges that they have and giving it a proper shape and giving them socio-emotional skills through the process of meditation, rejuvenation, connecting within through the prayer, and several other concepts that we have built over a period of time. The third one, which uh, today worldwide is getting high recognition, whatever we are here today, whether we are a doctor or a lawyer or a successful architect or a media person, it is because of the input that we have got from the teachers when we are in school or in college. Unfortunately, our current system, at least in India, is such that teachers, in terms of pay, is so pathetically low, people who do not get jobs elsewhere finally end up doing teaching. With no disregard to people who are good teachers, who have chosen and been here, I have met thousands of them as part of this uh, research work. Many of them have taken up this work mainly because of the TINA factor. There is no other alternative. I have to earn. And it's the easiest to get in, so they get in. They don't have any interest, and mainly because we are not able to attract talent. In 45-day tamasha, if I can say, if a person who just swings the bat for four sixers get paid 4.5 crores, imagine a teacher earns one hundredth of that over a 30-year period time. How would you expect to attract talent when you're paying for the entire lifetime Maybe starting salary for an undergrad teacher is about 25, 30 under a UGC pay. After all the expenses, many times I used to find that it's a hand-to-mouth living. And some of the UGC great teachers I meet, they hardly save 1,000, 2,000 rupees a month. If they save that, it is still a big deal. And one emerging expense, the whole thing gets wiped out. If you have to really 
make sweeping changes in the system, the first thing that we need to address, accept and change is that the teachers have to be the highest paid in the industry across all sections. This is not I'm saying something to you know, get popularity vote because I know that whatever I'm worth today is because of the teachers and many of them are unpaid. Today they will not even be earning even after the retirement one hundredth of what I am clearing as a consultant. Unfortunate but true. These are the three main points that we have for the teachers. Let's look at the students. They are at the receiving end, so we are not really going to bother too much about what they need to do. The only two points that have emerged, uh, there are a few additional points that have come in the afternoon session, which we'll put collate and share it back again uh, later through the press and through several reach that we have to the government. For the students, we want to look at uh, Unfortunately, our education system or a literacy system is driven purely based on, at the end of the day, where will I get placed? Will it be an Infosys, will it be a Wipro, or where will I get campus placed? If I am not campus placed, I am not worth living. Many of the suicides that we see in paper, other than people who fail in exam, there are many unreported suicides which are related to people who don't land up jobs after Last year, data says that in Tamil Nadu alone, there are more than seven lakh engineers who have gone out of college, and less than 45,000 of them have been placed out of their campus. There is 5.5 to 6 lakh are still without jobs. God knows what's going to happen to them. Imagine engineers within three to six months, if they don't have anything to do, where will their mind go? As Sumati Ma'am was saying, they look at internet, they look at movies, they look at other stuff, their mind starts changing, they go elsewhere. We cannot blame them because they have no way to channelize their energy. Their energies have to be channelized. We have certain solutions addressing to the government later, we'll come to that. Which means we need to find ways in which uh, the values, like the Gurukul system, are driven into them right from a young age. The learning to be is one of the UNESCO's uh, saying to create world-class citizens at an age when they would be amenable to change, catching the main sub-10, as they say, is something that we recommend, which should be part of the <clears throat> educational change that much should come. Imparting critical life skills from engage. I have seen rich parents with poor kids, mainly because suddenly one day one of the parents disappears and they don't even know where the money is. They don't know what to do with the money that is bestowed to them. We have always seen that this is one aspect that children, even when they graduate out of college, they don't know what to do. The first salary, they go and buy a fancy phone. The second salary, they go and buy a high-end bike. The third salary goes out on a date. I mean, as people are saying, 1,000 rupee dinners and 2,000 rupee dinners. The value of financial literacy is not there for the students. Like that, there are several other skills. Like knowing about the culture or the history of the nation makes a huge difference. These are the two points that we have for the students that we recommend in some way the authorities or the students themselves can seek and do this. All these recommendations will also be made available to all of you through our website and shared to you as PDF in case you want, you can let us know, we'll share with you because we want this to have a multiplier effect so that it goes to everybody. The third one is for the educational institutions. Unfortunately, to a great extent, but not to blame all of them, to a great extent, we find we are in a situation where this has now purely become a commercial industry. Not all of them, but many of them. This is something known. And uh, when I speak to many of the placement heads across several colleges and institutions that we work with, their target is quite simple. What is your target? When a student comes, we commit 100% placement. 
and there's a big tamasha which goes behind. Knowing the other side, I can say it with confidence. What happens, they somehow find ways in which these people are issued uh, appointment letters. And within six months, they find a way to show the exit door to these participants who get campus placed. What happens in the process is at the end of six months, as far as the institution is concerned, it is shown as 100% placement. But as far as the students is concerned, within six months is out of a job, back onto the street. This is a big racket which is happening, which all of us are aware. So there are a few things that if these changes have to happen between all these six stakeholders that I have mentioned. No one single person can bring this change. On one side, as I mentioned, the students, on the other side, the teacher, the other side, the educational institutions, on the fourth side, the government, the fifth side, the society, and the parents, and the sixth side, as we mentioned about the changes that uh, the industry institution connect. There, the industries themselves have something to offer. The educational institutions have to learn to educate through a heart-centered approach to teaching and learning. This is something fortunately has been coming from many of our speakers from morning, though many of them haven't yet practiced meditation in a serious way. But this is something that we find that opens up several uh, vistas from the heart where it ensures that the teaching and learning becomes heart-based. One of the biggest advantages that many speakers uh, spoke in the morning, including Brother uh, K.S. Balasubramanian, is that that Gurukul of being connected to a single teacher for 6 to 12 years connects such a bond that the student learns for the sake of the love that has developed between the teacher and the taught, rather than a forced academic uh, pressures that are being sort of put onto them. Every third month the teacher changes, they quit the job, and then you find that they have to move to the parents' chain, they go to another location, it goes on. Find ways in which this heart-centered approach can be brought into the curriculum, where we have done extensive support, we have developed an extensive support system through which we can actually give it to all the educational institutions on a cost-neutral basis, impart life skills and soft skills. Uh, to such an extent that today, Many of the people, I used to go to the engineering colleges for doing campus to corporate programs, window dressing, literally. After four years of extensive studies, there is only one question finally that determines your future. And that question is simple, how much do you want? Simple, the HR manager sitting on the other side will ask you one single question, how much do you want? What's your pay packet? And the next question follow through is justify yourself. If you are able to manage these two questions, doesn't matter what marks you score, doesn't matter where you have studied, you can still. So finally what happens is in three days, like a bridal maker, we have to get these people ready so that when they go out there, they get placed. Maybe within three to six months, the Tamil they automatically get out of the placement. So life and emotional skills, social skills to be embedded, if possible, right from the pre-KG or the LKG. In fact, this is what we did through our value-based uh, spiritual education. This is what we are doing through our current conscious living. We are taking these values in some way. Like Ma'am was saying, I used to have in our uh, days a class called as a craft class. I don't even know if the current generation even knows that. Every week there used to be two sessions. One craft class was meant for learning a physical craft. I have learned carpentry, I have learned so many things, though I don't practice, we were forcibly taught, but it's still it's here. If I had to still do it, I can do it. Many of the household work, if I still manage to do it, it's because of the craft that has got embedded. The second craft session invariably will be a moral class, where we are forced to sit through an hour of lecture, first two sessions, three sessions, four sessions, it gets boring. After that, you get used to it, it gets in. 
And many of the values came through that. Today the craft class has disappeared because we don't have time for that. When we speak about life and social skills to colleges and schools, the first objection that comes is, can you do it on a Saturday? Can you make it optional? Two deadly questions on both the counts, invariably, the students have a choice of not being there. The whole thing gets lost. So we look at that as something that people have to sort of weave in into the curriculum till they do it. I always used to, one of the questions I used to ask many of the IAM professors I used to meet, I am yet to find an MBA in soft skills in India or even anywhere internationally in the world. MBA soft skills yet doesn't exist. What's wrong with it? MBA life skills, MBA soft skills, MBA emotional intelligence, MBA spiritual quotient. There's enough takers. After all, once you do it, you become, you create a new stream and then God knows what can happen after that. Implement 21st century styles of learning. Like we can borrow ideas from Khan Academy, what Finnish people are doing, what Singapore is doing, what some of the advanced uh, countries are doing in the field of education, and then see what can happen. Overall, help create a loving, compassionate learning environment through a heart-based approach this is something that we firmly believe in. Let's look at the fourth uh, component of this uh, six-party mix. For parents and society as a whole, convert the parent-teacher meetings into a transparent and open exchange of ideas between them. Yesterday, one of the volunteers was talking to me, was part of this program. He was part of the, he had to go for a parent-teaching. He said, we have been told to sit till the meeting is over. And he had to come back by 2 o'clock. Many times a PTA, which I have experienced when my daughter was in school, is a one-way street. You have to go sit, listen, uh, you'll get a mouthful or a earful depending upon who the person is. And then I have to come back saying, okay, your daughter is like this, your son is like this, you have to do this, you have to do that, blah, 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 blah. PTA is, you cannot ask the teacher why your teaching is poor. If you ask that, you know what is going to happen. In all probability, a TC in your hand for your daughter for not uh, doing well in the classes. This is what you have to face. Hence, PTA, unless it's made in an open way, not where you fight, but you can sit and talk as two matured individuals to find how the student can evolve. Second, many of the decisions that the schools take today, the parents actually are not part of. Some schools do have it, we have seen it, where the parents become part of the decision-making body of the education institute, right up to how the syllabus is designed for the school, at least for some of the activities where the school has a freedom. These are the two points that we have for the parents. Let's look at our long laundry list. This is where the biggest list is because the entire area is held uh, literally to ransom by the government because they are the people who make the policies until they come out with the policy decision pertaining to these areas. Uh, several years back, I started studying on what would make India back into glorious India that it is. And that's where the topic Resurgent India came about. And as part of that, we did extensive work and gathered a lot of data. Currently, if you look at the first point, I'll just rush through because there are too many of them for me to read out in the time. I have another five minutes to close. We have a literacy rate in the age group of 5 to 10, which is sub 75%, which means for every 100 children in the age group of 5 to 10, 25 of them do not even ever enter into a school. Neridia, Mardamaker, to go, Ilavera, to go, straighter they go. Unfortunate, but true. There are one or two states where literacy is almost 100%, but invariably our current Indian literacy rate ratio is less than 75%. The target is to see if we can bring it to 90%. One of the targets that we have kept is it's almost in the last 70 years there have been hardly one Nobel Prize for this pace. That is from C.V. Raman. Can you mention anybody else who has been an Indian Indian 
not Indian American has taken Nobel Prize awards after that, almost no. Maybe one piece prize for uh, Mother Teresa, again from, uh, not from India, from Poland. At least two Nobel Prizes in the next five years. If you design an education system where Dr. Mohandas was talking about pure research, we don't have pure research. Today, any research is immediately commercialized. Research for the sake of research doesn't happen. Promote financial literacy, which government can do. Promote and develop alternate or parallel system of value-added educational system, which focuses people on innovation and creativity. And developing entrepreneurs from the age of 5 to 10. If you think it's an impossible pipe dream, look at some of the foreign countries, they've started doing it already. We have data for that. Look at Human Development Index. There was one Indian who won a Nobel Prize on this, Amartya Sen. The only research he did was to find how to develop and impart Human Development Index in all countries of the world. He actually co-authored this paper with a Pakistan uh, uh, professor and both of them took equal credit for this Nobel Prize. They actually brought in saying that a country has to be weighed purely on the human development index and then they gave a set of parameters that you need to work. Currently in India, it's less than 0.8% and uh, the average apparently is much, much higher than that because India rarely invests on the biggest asset that we have, which is our uh, human uh, size. 125 crores is, is, is not a small number. Internet broadband penetration is still pathetically low, 25 to 30%. Of course, in the metros, every family has three SIMs, but down south, if you have uh, even uh, the old uh, Nokia handset, is still a big deal. Look at science and technology budget where you invest 3.5% of the GDP as part of that. The knowledge industry to contribute 10% or more year on year on the current level of GDP contribution. If you look at some of the additional setups, you will see a few of them listed here. Youth in the age group of 20 to 25, as ma'am was saying, I'm a Recently, I had to go through India across the length and breadth to study for an agricultural sector. We found that if only if some of the people are committed, like after medicine, you have to go for one year for your internship. If you can put your students through for three to five years of compulsory agricultural exposure studies, in no time, maybe no time could be defined as five to ten years, India could get back. Even today, we are an agrarian society with 60% of a GDP apparently coming from this. And we are not spending enough to invest. People are running away from uh, villages into town, searching for fancy jobs in ITS companies in uh, AC rooms. Look at uh, redesigning the architecture of the schools, which today are not fit to even sit and learn. That's what many people say. One, I read a famous politician saying, I will not even send my cow to this school. I don't know where we would send his uh, children, of course. Establish sports management courses because today one of the biggest challenges, we don't have enough uh, playground, we don't have enough time for people to go and do their extracurricular activities and hence they are uh, gadget bound, they're sitting in home, playing all the time. Uh, there's nothing really that is happening. A few more points that you see here, for the want of time I will not go through that in full. The last point that I want to connect is the industry and institution connect. Industry, if it is made mandatory, today CSR is made mandatory, 2.5% of your net profit has to be spent. And hence people are forced to spend because it's a legislation. The same way if government is able to make it as a legislation, if industry do, is made to sponsor local institutions, each organization must sponsor or take ownership for one institution to whatever extent they can. Especially 
If possible, the SME sector, they can adopt on school or a college, spend whatever they can. The produce that comes out of that, they can employ themselves. All these might take about three to five to 10 years to do, but that kind of system, systematic change is going to take a little bit of time, but uh, with willpower and a little bit of drive-through, we will be able to do. Industry should uh, spare the CSR in terms of FDP support, career guidance, teaching English skills, though we might hate that language, that those people have left 70 years ago, we are still stuck with the language that we don't have a choice. That's a global language today. After all, if you are conducting a session in Tamil Nadu, in Chennai, speaking in English, there is still a problem. We have to do it because there are people watching from about 140 countries. English skill today is a challenge. I have seen brilliant students from villages. When I used to talk to them in Tamil, they are extremely uh, versatile in communication. The moment I switch to English, what do you want to do in your life? They just shut. They don't talk because their entire self-confidence has been now brought onto one single facet of being able to speak English, period. Unfortunately, there is a fact of life without which you can't get employed. Even advanced economies like China is spending a lot because that's why they're losing out India. There, many of the Chinese students today are learning English so that they can be better placed than what we are. Industry should be invited to local institutions where the institutions should have periodical industry visits, not only visit hospitals and other places, also visit industries to find what exactly is happening so that they get uh, practical knowledge of the subject. These are the six areas in which we have grouped. Uh, I have another two minutes to complete. Let me just share, this is what Heartfulness Institute and Heartfulness uh, Education Trust has been doing for years now brought in refreshing changes in a very silent way across uh, the globe in several countries. And today the kind of changes that we are bringing is already yielding results in several areas. This is something that we are pretty serious about, bringing a silent revolution through the process of meditation, rejuvenation, connecting to yourself inside, and offering all these skills in whatever way we can. We continuously engage ourselves with government institutions. We have been talking to UN. We have been talking to several governments across the globe to find a way in which we can finally bring an education system that produces people of character instead of producing people who are literate, who are only running after money. With that short note that has been shared with you, not very short, 30 minutes, I would like to thank you for this opportunity to be able to sum up the main point that emerged over a period of time, including this uh, session. I hope uh, that we'll go back and see if we can put some of these uh, resolutions that we have brought in today into effect and see if we can bring a change in India for a better good for India and also for the globe. Thank you.